0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology. And I'm your host, James Someru. Colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer in the world. There were 1.9 million people diagnosed with colorectal cancer in 2020 alone. And currently you need a colonoscopy, which is going to diagnose that colorectal cancer, which is incredibly invasive. Now, the biotech world and the innovative people in the biotech world are involved with creating screening in the form of stool tests. And my guest today is part of that exact movement. So Guido Backler is the CEO of Mainz Biotech or Mines Biotech, if I'm to say that correctly. He has got a really interesting background, started as an electrical engineer, did AI way back in the mid-90s, spent time at Roche and a few other biotech companies, and is now building out a screening test for colorectal cancers in the form of a stool test. So on this episode with Guido, we talk about his background, building companies in the biotech space and spending time at Roche and putting together a career that allowed him to become an incredible CEO. We talk about his leadership style and how he likes to lead organizations, putting listening and understanding first. And obviously we talk about the technology that they're involved with and the potential benefit uh, of this technology reaching the masses. In order to get there, it needs a strong business model. We talk about that. We talk about how you actually get a test like this to be reimbursed. And that's different in every geography in every country. And we talk about how this can be used in different cancers too, um, particularly pancreatic cancer, which is something that they are involved with currently doing some partnerships in the space to figure out the biomarkers there. Um, it's a really good episode, this one. Uh, touches home, I've got a pancreatic cancer uh, story in my family, as does Guido actually. Um, and so this is this screening is something that's incredibly important to both of us, but also to the world. There are so many examples of these types of cancers uh, hitting families and breaking them apart and affecting so, so, so many people. So uh, this is a movement, a technology, um, a philosophy that I really, really buy into. I think prevention is is incredibly important. We actually talk about in this episode, actually, how prevention, whilst being important, it's difficult to know who pays. Um, And when you're figuring out the health economic model, when you're figuring out the value to a big system before a big system can buy it and implement screening everywhere, how do you actually prove that it is going to add that value? Um, We talk about all this stuff and yeah, it's a really good one. hope you enjoy it. So Guido, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? Thanks, James, for having me. I'm doing great. Excellent. Um, yeah, we've been talking about biotech quite a lot recently. We've had uh, a few biotech founders on. We've had Ori biotech on in the past. We've had Oka bio and Jack on recently. It seems like biotech and health tech, the line is becoming quite blurred, actually. And I think I, I know today that we're going to be talking about colorectal cancer. We're going to talk about the microbiome. We're going to be talking about diagnostic tests. And I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to really get more and more involved in uh in biotech i think it's there are a lot of frontiers not least with the microbiome so um incredibly excited to have you on guido um whereabouts are you speaking to us from today i'm
1: from uh, from lucerne uh central switzerland the
0: oh, most beautiful nice.
1: city in the world that's uh very close to where i grew up actually
0: excellent so guido it's a pleasure to have you on you've got a really interesting background across pharma across biotech leading minds now and obviously doing some interesting things in colorectal cancer pancreatic cancer and all this diagnostic stuff i'm really keen to to hear your story so for be- the benefit of me and our listeners um tell us the long version sure i could go on for a while but let me let me
1: focus on the long <laughs> version rather on the most important milestone so i was born in a very small town uh, outside of lucerne the central city uh, in in switzerland um very v- v- grew up in a I would say very uh, quiet environment um, with uh, with with my family. Um, I started off studying engineer electrical engineering, so I got really involved in electronics early on. Tried to you know figure out what to do. Very early stage, uh, worked with artificial intelligence in the mid nineties. You know, which wow. was really completely unheard of at that time. Um, I was very lucky to get a job at Roche. Uh, diagnostics uh, after my degree. Uh, and it was a very unique opportunity because I got to work in a te- technology department that spanned across multiple technologies, multiple diseases. And really, from beginning on, I uh, felt that um, don't tie me down to one thing. I wanted to learn many different things. Um, you know, being an electrical engineer, I ended up working in a lab. You know molecular, doing molecular work, and you know working with artificial intelligence, uh, creating you know challenging problems for the company, and so it was really fascinating for me to really, as, as I came out of university, to really got into a very innovative, creative team that was focused on teamwork, you know, science, and and, and really multidisciplinary uh, activities. Right, so really not just focus on one area, but go broad, uh, because. In technologies often, specifically when you look at bio, biology or diagnostics, it's not just about like a chemistry. It's a chemistry, it's blood, it's mechanics, it's electronics, it's software. Everything actually comes together and ultimately has to work reliably, compliant to be able to create results. So that was really the entry for me into the diagnostic space in um. An important part of my of my life was like I went to the United States uh, to improve my English in 91, where I met my wife, um, uh, and then ultimately made me move to the United States in uh, 96. And that was really interesting because Roche Diagnostics in, in early 90s acquired the PCR rights from Cedis Corporation. Cedis Corporation was in California, um, and they invented PCR, and I think all listeners by now know what PCR is. It's a <laughs> polymerase chain reaction, which is used for all the COVID tests. I think years ago, many people were not aware that that's really the absolute best technology to identify small viruses, you know, yeah. and you can identify small viruses. You can identify, you know, mutations of genetic variations, etc. So I moved to the U.S., uh, relocated really, um, immigrated there and got the pleasure for many years to work with the inventor of that technology. So it was fascinating for me to be, I was the first engineer to be sent to CITES and and Roche Molecular at that time to work with the biologists to help them translate what it means to get their technology automatable, how to make the technology scalable so you can actually automate it. And so now these were large machines and now 30 years later, you look at the small handheld PCR platforms are out there. So it's really fascinating for me to see how that technology has really evolved over those many years. So that I think was a very important part for me to get, you know, learning on an absolutely breakthrough technology, again, applying all cross-functional thinking, right? Then including production, manufacturing, very complex regulatory activities. And so this was really the base for me first in research with Roche, uh, again, I, I do have one example uh, where with uh, David Gelfand, and he's one of the you know the leading inventor of technology. He was is a phenomenal individual, and you know I'm very structured and organized and planned. And he had I, I remember walked into his office, and he had like 100 papers on top of his desk and a total chaos, right? And I was like, David, can you help me with one specific topic? He lifted the, the, the people paper, found the right paper out and gave it to me and was like, how the hell do you remember where that paper is? And say like, that's just how my brain works. So it's, it's fa- it was a fascinating <laughs> story for me to, to see how people are different, right? So, but again, it's an important part of learning when you, when you build and lead organizations, there's, there's no right or wrong thing, right? So some people just behave a certain way and think a certain way. And that was really fascinating for me. So I, I did research and development for several years uh, Roche uh, did market research, created new platforms as those research, and then moved on to the, the marketing uh, commercial side and, and actually uh, launched some of those products globally through Roche Diagnostics, which was brilliant. You don't get to do this very often, right? Do, do, the, do the market research and then develop a product and then move over and commercialize it. That was fascinating. Uh, so I did this for a couple of years, and then I moved into the overall program management where we did ran mm-hmm programs all around the world developing next generation um, diagnostic systems uh, under the umbrella, you know, of Roche Molecular. So that was brilliant. I did this totally close to 20 years with Roche. Um, And again, I was living in the Bay Area, uh, in Berkeley, outside of San Francisco. And I was very intrigued with startups, right? Because we had at Roche, we had lots of people, you know, pitching next best technology and something else we should work with. And I was very often involved in due diligence Of companies, so I, I was really intrigued, and then I came across a company that um, a colleague of mine recommended that did you know ultra sensitive sensitive immunoassays? A very small company, and I basically joined that company. There was a risk, so it was yet one of those you know moving to Duis was the first risk, but it worked out well. Uh, and then I felt like should I should I try. The small startup world, right? Can can I do it, right? People were always worried about it. When you come from a big company, you know, you have resources and and can he actually survive in a startup world? And I think it worked out very well. I, I took over all the operations there, um, really made, you know, it was great. We really built the company from 20 people to about 300. Um, wow. And then in 2013, I took over a CEO. That come, So it was very unique. So the board trusted me. Uh, and then um, we had a management change and I got to be able to, you know, start running a company, which is brilliant for me as a you know, first time CEO. I had some great coaches on the board who really really helped me guide me through the process. And and as a result, then you know, we we restructured the organization, we start selling pieces off. Um, exciting to see that the technology is broadly used now in other areas of diagnostics. So that was my first foray into being a leader, building a culture. Uh, but then also divesting, right? So that was a fascinating part to have to go through that. Um, then I um, I took a little break. I uh, started building my consulting business. I felt like let's do something different, and I started coaching uh, startup uh, CEOs and 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 again beginner management teams, which was brilliant for me. Did this for a while, um, and then I got a call from a uh, Silicon Valley investor. Said, um what are you up to? I, I need some help. Uh, they started building a an, an mega throughput COVID testing center. Um, and they needed somebody who can cross the span, you know, build systems. Uh, and so I said, well, let me look at it. Um, I, 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 and I was excited. So it was the, the most stressful, but most fascinating time of my life because COVID was just ramping not enough testing, and these guys had machines that were able to do hundreds of thousands of tests a day, right? So and these are PCR tests. These are probably, probably one of the world's fastest machines ever built for stuff like this. So we did it. We took off, and I always say we took off with the 747 without wheels up because we were going so fast. People were sleeping in the lab, right? So just to make sure things get going, and it was, it was fascinating. So I did that for close to a year. Um, And it also ultimately wasn't what I wanted to do, but I wanted to get back to the community. Let's build this. Let's offer that solution. It was great. And then I came across Minds Biomed, and that really gets us then to where we are today. So I love to cure people. I love to help people extend their life, right? So as you go through my history, I've always been in that space. Um, When I heard about Minds Biomed, I was very intrigued because, first of all, they had a very—it's a stool-based colorectal cancer test, and it's extremely easy to be collected at home. Um, many listeners, if they're a little bit older, probably have done. Some have done a colonoscopy. James, you know, you have not—lucky you. It's—it's um, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a very pleasant procedure, right? And so, mm-hmm. and in many cases, there is an alternative test that some people use in Europe, which is a FIT test. Basically, it measures whether you have blood in stool. It's it's an okay test, not great, not not, not not too good for early early cancer detection, for example. So it's great for later stage. So it's it's better than nothing. Um, but then what minds Biomet developed, they built on top of that fit test. We added now um, an additional product that is, that includes DNA markers who then actually helps identify cancer at an earlier stage. And that's ultimately out of this philosophy, Call Alert was created, which is a combination of the existing fit test and these new DNA marks. I was very intrigued. First of all, because of COVID, it's like okay, everything has to be done at home, right? You don't want to go to a physician's office. You don't want to go to a draw centers to get blood, whatever, or, you know, as long as you can do stuff at home, good, make the collection easy. So that was a check mark for me. I love that they already had a product in Europe. Because many times, technologies, it's the reality. Innovative diagnostics has barely come out of Europe. They mostly come out of the US and they're in Europe. It's just, it's a different model in Europe. And so so I love that they have a product in Europe. I love that they had initial customers and the feedback was good. So I I knew there was work to be done because it was a small group, but there was a starting point. The clinical data they had created was good. I like that as well. And most importantly, James, was the business model that they started to attend. So there's, this is a really important part of mine. So we we'll probably go through it afterwards as well. But you know this is like a model that any laboratory and any physician you have can actually help you with, um, which is quite different than how, for example, one of the, the leading company in colorectal cancer screening is Exact Sciences, which is based in the US. So I like the completely differentiated model, because as we move forward, we're going to be a very disruptive to the market Mm -hmm. by able to develop and deliver products. It's like a COVID test, right? So for, for the listeners, I think it's a good example. Like in the United States, if you want to have that advanced colorectal cancer test, you have one lab in all the United States performing that test, which means you have to ship everything centralized. It's like you have one COVID lab, Well, that would be a disaster, right? So what we have now, we build a system that you can sell to many labs around the world, right, who then actually offer these to your local solution. So it's a much quicker and, and less expensive process, allows you to go to areas that are not as populated, and that's an issue where we generally have, right, where the more, uh, you know, urban you go, the more going to the countryside, the, the less medical support you have. And so being able to provide tools that are accessible to anybody really was the drive. So this is what I did. I I joined Mainz. Um, I was I was convinced. Um, and the company, again, hmm. is based in, uh, in Germany, uh, in uh, Mainz, uh, which is 20 kilometers outside of, uh, of Frankfurt. And we took the company public in November 21 on NASDAQ, uh, and have ever since basically continued to build the company, uh, worked on next generation products, started working on pancreatic cancer, and so that's kind of my long story. I hope it wasn't too long, uh, but it's uh, it's it been long. really interesting how um, what I what I've learned, James, through again. The different, you know, there's always cool technologies out there, right? But you got to figure out a way, you know, where is the true clinical value you can bring, right? So there's a lot of me-toos out there, right? So, I mean, how many, to be honest, how many point of care COVID tests are still out there? Hundreds and hundreds. How do you differentiate yourself from somebody else, right? So especially as a startup, as you need to think about capital raise, et cetera. And so, but again, I think we're we, we hitting a target that is very unique, Um you know that shortly in the future other companies will come in but right now we're really the only one driving that forward so that that, that mm. was the exciting part that's why i i am doing what i'm doing today
0: i love that story you you tell it very well it's it, it's interesting to me just how how covid really well it changed people's expectations of what tests i think should and could be the fact that the whole world saw A previous, what might have been previously a PCR test in a lab, go all the way down to a, you know, point of care, bedside, at home, even lateral flow test. You can see the effect that that has had on showing people the art of the possible and people then thinking, well, what else could be done in this way that increases access, decreases how invasive it is increases the ability for prevention and screening and all these things that we know will be incredibly useful. So it's interesting to me how that happened and how you and what you have done has, has essentially leapt onto that and is is championing that new way that we're going to be looking at point of care diagnostics. But before I go into that and what you're doing at Mines, what I want to do is go back and talk to you about a couple of things that you said in your background, which really interested me. So, you strike me as someone you're you're a very good orator, and you, you speak very well and and clearly. Well, you said you've been involved in coaching, and and you seem to have a knack for uh being able to articulate things like leadership and culture. These things that you mentioned. One specific thing you said is that you learned from a mentor that you worked with a almost like crazy scientist inventor with papers all over their desk. You learned that there's no right or wrong way to lead an organization. That's a really interesting phrase, um, because I think even on this podcast, I try and pull out elements of what good leadership is and what good leadership looks like. And of course there will be broad truths within that. But can you just expand on that for me, that there is no right or wrong way when you lead organizations? And I guess maybe think about yourself as a leader, the leaders and mentors that you have had, and perhaps what you think good leadership looks like, even though there might not be a right or wrong. So I think
1: that's a that's a good question, James. And I, I think maybe a good example is... You have to adjust your leadership style based on the company somehow, right? So you know when you, in, in my case now, I, I used to run small startups to grow fast in in Silicon Valley, right, where mm. everything goes incredibly fast, and people don't mind spending the night there, sleeping all over. It's just an, it's a different world. So there, mm. you have different ideas, you know, and and uh, as as, a, as an entrepreneur and startup, you know. <laughs> Again, another guy I really appreciate, a a really successful investor. When you run a company like this, you're like in a race car and you're racing down Mm. the road and you're going into a turn. You have to make sure you go as fast as you can, but you got to know when to stop to not go across Mm. the cliff, right? So it's it's this really kind of crazy out there push for timing and and push for innovation, right? So so that's how this is understood. Right. So here, switch yourself to Germany. Right. Quite a different culture. So how do you when you when you come in, you have to adjust how you lead and coach and how you communicate with your team, because, you know, very structured, very organized, you know, you, you have a different philosophy. The, the, the Americans, I mean, probably somewhere in between now, I always say like they they live the work. Right, workaholics. People don't take vacations. Um, just different philosophy, right? You go to Europe, which where I grew up, with it's just different, right? You kind of you, you live, but you know, uh, but, but you work that you can live, right? So it's a different approach, and so you have to. And, and it's not, it's not any, it's not better or worse. And I think people with 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 a little bit more, you know, structure and are, are not necessarily slower in delivering results, right? So it's this really. This understanding of you're in a different environment, right? The regulatory environment and the reimbursement environment in, in Germany, for example, is also quite different than it is in the US. You need to understand that. So you have to adjust what you can accomplish, right? So that's important because you gotta be careful not to burn the team out, right? If you come in and think everything goes as fast and you know as as in other places, that's just not the reality, right? So this is really was again for me an interesting learning lesson the last two years, right? Just to tune down, adjust what you think you can accomplish. You know, just be more pragmatic about it, and that's what I meant by right. So really, it is a that's what I learned. It's 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 you gotta adjust your leadership style to the team that you're leading because in, those are really good examples because they're really different, right? I think everybody can understand how how different the culture yeah. is um and but that's also fascinating for me that's why I always love to work with multinational companies because you know we work we spend a lot of time working with the Japanese it's yet another world right it's a complete mm. different world how you behave how you talk how they think how the product needs to look right and then you go again in into the americas and it's yet another so i think that's what i love about it with this multicultural approach, right? So mm-hmm. you that's what I'm saying, no not one way is right. It really is clearly, you know, you, you coach individuals, you you encourage them, you you know, give them the tools to grow. That that's certainly not different, right? You know, mm-hmm. but but in many ways just the overarching philosophy of how you can communicate and how you can, you know you just need to be more sensitized. That's what I'm saying. Right. Don't mm-hmm. expect because people have Right, you know there mm. are holidays on Thursdays, and you know it, it's it's what it is, and so yeah, you just yeah to adjust to this. So it, it, it's actually a stretch sometimes for me too, right? Because when you're too long in one area, you you do it does stretch my leadership sometimes to chill out yeah. and yeah. realize that. But at the end of the day, the result. It's not any different, right? So, that's the point. Sometimes a little bit slower gets you actually faster to the end than when you go too fast, because sometimes you go over the rating and you have to stop yeah. again, right? It's quite interesting.
0: I understand, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, I think, I guess the point that I hadn't really considered was that for someone like yourself that has worked with lots of different companies, actually, there's a stage, there's a stage to leadership which comes before. What I was really thinking about there, which is I was thinking, you know, you've started a company, you've lived in one area your whole life, perhaps, and you've not really experienced or had to lead in any different environments. And so you almost get to choose your style of leadership there. But I guess what you're saying is for those people that move their career and move their leadership into different places, the first step there is adjustment, tuning and understanding all three of those words you used. And actually... I like what you said that you also said that you met, you talked about how you lead coach and communicate and coaching and communication being such a, Big part of leadership, but again, you can only do that well after you've adjusted, after you've understood, after you know. You talked about culture. You talked about Japan. You talked about US. Talks about Europe. Actually, it's understanding culture initially, so you know the environment that you're in. Then it's understanding those people and understanding what they might want and need in order to get the most out of them. And it's that thing about high performance and how you get high performance. It's not the ceiling that you put on it. There is a ceiling. You need to find out what that ceiling is, how high that ceiling is, in order to know. It exactly how high you can drive these people because you might assume you can drive them into the earth and you might end up accidentally doing that by not understanding culture etc and so yeah in- in- incredibly interesting what you just talked about and uh, this stuff this stuff absolutely fascinates me in terms of just achieving the highest possible performance with a given group of people and how you do that so I think that uh, definitely is fascinating to me the other thing that I want to ask you about though is um it sounds like at, at Roche you you saw a lot of of the, you saw a lot of areas of the company and you actually found yourself in roles. I say found yourself, you know, you put yourself in the right place at the right time here, but you've, you've given yourself such a view of that organization right from, well, the whole journey of the product, essentially from the inception of it, to the marketing, the communication of it, to the selling of it, to the design of it, you've kind of seen everything now. Whether or not that was by luck or by design, I imagine it was elements of both always tends to be. But when you're looking to piece together a career that ends where, or at least it gets to the place where you are now, as a leader of biotech organisations, it seems useful that you've seen that whole journey. It seems like that has given you the skills and the knowledge to be a very high quality CEO because you understand so many functions. Is that something that you would advise people to try and do, or is it a case of just, just getting as close to leadership by whatever means necessary? Is it a case of learning, you know, the classic, the hotelier that started in the kitchen and saw absolutely everything. what, What would you advise people that are looking to eventually get into biotech leadership?
1: So this is a is a good is a really good question. And to me, um as as I started off talking about how broad my scope of work was when I first started at Roche, right? Going across. So I'm a I'm a I'm a total believer in some type of generality, right? So the more you know about different places, the better you can connect dots. And that's more mm. important as a smaller startup CEO, right? As a company grows, Interesting. you have very powerful people who will do stuff is established, right? But when you when you when you're a very small company, right? So there is somebody who has to be able to connect, right? And and again, sometimes you have somebody within the organization that does that and the CEO doesn't have to do it, right? Can focus on other stuff. In my case, because I've gone through all areas, I understand. Mm across what's necessary it also helps me assess individuals so in my case in minds I was really lucky to be able to select two or three individuals that are incredibly powerful and some of them I knew partially from before but I could figure out this is what we need at this stage we were able to bring for example a very incredible experienced head of development that has done it you know for 20 30 years as well so th- that individual has seen a lot and so i was able to quickly assess okay we have a young dynamic team we are perfect if they have a little bit more senior individual who gets it because they can coach it right so and so i, I think i'm I'm a, I'm a total believer james that the broader knowledge is the more predictable you, because you, in your head, you think about everything else differently, right? So at the end of the day, you talk to investors, you make commitments, and it, it helps me. But it's also maybe puts more stress on the individual because if you know too much, it's hard. For example, being an engineer, I was data-driven. It was not easy for me to start pitching a company that I knew not everything was completely understood yet, right? So it's 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's so there's 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 this trade-offs to when you know too much. Because you do get into, you know, sometimes some people just want to be more high level. Don't bother me with the details. Somebody else takes care of it. Some people are very successful in it, right? But but that's just not who I am. I always are across. It also helps me understand the people, right? If somebody, and I'm always very open, you know, I, I really talk to at any level in the organization because they tell me things, right? So if you if you know more, you can understand what they're telling you. And you can impact their world as well by adjusting all the stuff, by connecting the dots. And that's, again, that's very important from my point of view for a smaller organization. It's also you can see, if somebody tells you something, you can say, well, are you really sure? Because you can, you, you think it could be different, right? So mm-hmm. it's much easier for you to kind of, sorry, my, my English through the bullshit somebody may want to tell you because you <laughs> think it's it's just not right, right? So it just helps you. Um, manage better than broader knowledge, and I, I did this really on purpose. I, I did move around because I wanted to know different areas, and that was really a perfect, you know, education for me at Roche that then really helped me in the startup world, right? Because I quickly was able to see, okay, this is this is an individual who needs help in that area because that's what they really need to do. They're missing that element, so it, it gives you a much different perspective of individuals and the process you mm. ultimately
0: have to accomplish. Yeah. And life is long and careers are long. And actually there can be this race to seniority.
1: (laughs) It's, it's interesting. You know, I have, I have, I mean, again, this is about technology, but I have three boys and um, they're all, they're all one is a study biology and now he's studying veterinary medicine. Right. And he's saying, well, why should I study so long? I love what I do. And then I said, Dominic, that's okay. You know, you have a long life is long, you know, do what you love to do when you're younger, go to school, um, and then you figure out your path afterwards, which is very, not, not typical what you see here in Europe. is more Europe, is, at least where, where I grew up in Switzerland, much more you, you, you study this and you do this for the rest of your life. I think that's my culture. It's probably why I left for the US. It just, it's just, it, it's, I need a broader view. Uh, and that's, mm. that's why I think it's important, right? Think differently. Think out of the box. Start with something and do something else. Because people, between 20 and 30, everybody kind of figures out what they want to do. But most people
0: don't know at twenty what they really want to do. It's so, it's so true. But I, I do, I do, I do see and I feel this race to seniority amongst, as I say, even some of my friends. And actually, you, what you're saying this this ability to learn an organisation or learn a sector through so many different vantage points. It doesn't matter necessarily how senior you're getting at that time. I think what you're doing is you're expanding your own ceiling. You're increasing the height to which you can go and the things that you can do. I love the framework actually that you just said that making things more predictable. God, I feel that, Uh, that, 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 that hits, that hits with me that making things more predictable because as I make my way through entrepreneurship and the things that we want to do and our ambitions and everything we're trying to do in the space with communications and media and everything that we're trying. The, the unpredictable element is what's catching me out. And actually that re- I really feel that, that you even talked about making strategic hires, to help make things more predictable because ultimately we talk about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship all the time, the ups and downs of startups, the ups and downs of running organizations and it being this like, you know, huge up and down line all the time. And actually to actually to optimize for predictability. And to optimize your organization to make things predictable by hiring in experience. If you don't have it by hiring in expertise, if you don't have it to cope with those ups and downs, I think that's a really interesting framework that I'm going to take away and I'm going to think deeply about that, about how can I make things more predictable? That's been selfishly, that's been incredibly useful for me. So, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, I want to talk about minds biotech now and I want to talk about some of the things that you're doing and some of the things that you're moving into. So can you talk to me about the time that you moved into this? What was it that, what was it that gripped you about this company to join? Why did you make that move? The main reason was, you know,
1: this is a very innovative approach. First of all, you know, there is, you know, especially in, in in colorectal cancer, there are ways of eliminating the cancer right so it's it's mm. that the the prevalence has been going down uh, which is great but still very deadly cancer and so what what's interesting with colorectal is um, is you know on one hand there's a there's a gold standard which is colonoscopy which is you know it's a good gold standard but it's not perfect and mm. uh, and and combined is with the individual right the individual's possibilities to to take the take charge of your life and of your health. I think COVID moved the community away from, I have to ask my doctor all the time to I wanna kind of figure it out myself too, right? So, and mm-hmm. so, um, and, and, and here, I mean, just giving you a, a, an example of what happened at Mainz very recently, which reflects to that I wanna be in charge of my health was a a, a mother was pregnant with her third child um, so she had perfect perfect, uh, you know, pregnancies before and the third one just was different. She didn't feel right. She felt like mm-hmm. she wasn't gaining enough weight. She went to the physician. Physician said, don't worry about it. Um, her name is Lisa, everything is fine. Not, not gonna be a mm-hmm. problem. Well, Lisa didn't take that as an answer. She said, I, I, no, don't, I, I don't trust them. Something isn't right. She did research and she came across our color test, which you can order online. She ordered a test. The test unfortunately came back positive, which means Mm. something wasn't seriously not right with her. So she went to her physician and then they immediately ordered a colonoscopy and unfortunately diagnosed her at stage, uh, at, at the medium to late stage cancer, which is horrible. Right. But, but thanks to us, she sent us a very lovely message and we are still in touch with her. You know, not only did we actually, because we gave her a much higher chance of survival because the earlier you detect colorectal cancer, the better is the survival, right? But furthermore, yes. she she could be the mother of her children. And so she recently gave birth to a beautiful child, beautiful oh. girl. So, you know, this is a beautiful story. This is what excited me about this technology, yeah, you know, plants, yeah. Biomed, you know you you are in charge of your control- you are in control of your health, and there are tools yeah. out there more and more that you can educate yourself and you know and 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 help yourself like with the pancreas as we've spoken before I just had also an event where I had somebody very closely unfortunately very late diagnosed. We need better tools for those cancers that got me excited I think that was really mm-hmm. the hook for me. To join minds and then continue, right? So as you then move on, you know it's perfect to early to detect cancer early. But there's now ways. So when when you think about the colorectal cancer evolution, everything starts with a with a polyp in your colon. And so uh, when you do a colonoscopy, you can actually identify which of those polyps are actually potentially, you know, triggering cancer. So there's a there's mm. a there's a there's a very well understood description of it, that polyp looks a certain way you have an almost 10% chance of moving into colorectal cancer and you will el- eliminate that polyp during colonoscopy and that's what we're doing as an organization we have a current product in the market that predict that can measure you know the cancer stage and now we're pushing forward with next generation tests that actually help identifying these precancerous polyps which means you can go and get get an easy screening done at home and then you go to your physician if it's positive. And if it's truly that that precancerous, you'll remove it and you have you reduce your risk significantly to actually being even a cancer patient. I mean that's the holy grail, right? So you can potentially yeah. eliminate colorectal cancer with those type of tests, and that's just priceless.
0: Forgive my ignorance here. I'm gonna ask you some what might be quite stupid questions, but so you're detecting precancerous polyps with this minimally invasive or non-invasive even test. Can you walk me through what the test actually is? And can you speak at all to the sensitivity and specificity of this test versus a colonoscopy? And, and, and look, like a colonoscopy is incredibly invasive. And so, you know, numbers like that have to be in consideration of the fact that look you're not sticking a camera in to have a look at things this is something that is incredibly easy to do at scale so by no means is it a direct comparison but can you speak to that for me sure so
1: i just want to clarify one thing james that you know we're our first generation uh color that we have in the market today we we, the study that was done didn't specifically highlight the sensitivity for this advanced adenomas to precancerous lesions. So um, so the data that we have with the current product colour alert has shown by the study by Professor Dollinger has eighty-five percent sensitivity and ninety-two percent specificity for colorectal cancer. What that means wow. is that, you know, it's not, it's not a hundred percent, right? Which and that's compared to colonoscopy. It's not a hundred percent, but it's yeah. very, it's close. It's, it's getting very close to it. Yeah. And, and here also, I, I do want to be transparent about it because we've had events where we had one um, patient that was really, really interesting. One of our actually clients who, who took uh, from a laboratory took on our test. They, uh, he, he's an accountant and he, He's very timely and focused and he did a colonoscopy uh, a while ago um, and mm. tested actually how long it took to take the colonoscopy, it was only 15 mm. minutes. Uh, he wow. did as part of our process to do the color test, the test came back positive, which surprised him. He went back in, did a colonoscopy and then a colonoscopy it took 30 minutes and then it was positive, okay? so. You know, so this is a. There's also a quality issue of the the type of colonoscopy. It depends how good the patient actually follows the procedure to, to clean the, the the colon, right? With all the medium you have to drink. So there's there's a, It's a gold standard, but it's it, it it's you know it is as good as it is right now. But there are challenges with that as well. That's why you know we're happy with the performance we have for the current test. Is clearly advanced better than when you just use the regular test or just measures blood in stool. And so mm. that's the way we look at it right now for the next generation. Again, we worked in doing clinical studies right now to see how that next generation test then will actually improve, not just the sensitivity and specificity for colorectal cancer,
0: but also these precancerous polyps. And it's a stool test, right? That's correct. And how does, again, um, it's, it's a question that, that I th- I mean, we, we talked about it very briefly before we started recording, but being a, Being a stool test versus being another test, obviously, well, it's better than a a colonoscopy, let's put it that way. It's a massive step in the right direction in terms of like the, let's call it the user experience um, of doing one versus the other. Um, I don't know, do you guys think about that as a barrier? Do you think about the fact that it's not, you know, a saliva test or a cheek cell test or, you know, that there is still, I suppose, a stigma barrier or even just like a, a, I I don't know how you describe it, but, but like, it's not as easy for people to come to terms with doing a stool sample versus something else. Is that something that you guys think about? Is that something that, that you see affects this in any way? I'm interested because you, you guys are obviously in it.
1: Yeah, we think about it all the time. And so clearly there is, you know, it's not as as easy as a cheek test, right? Clearly not on a nasal swab or whatever we all used to do. Um, but the reality is that, you know, there, there there are certain diseases that can just be better identified in stool. And what we're focusing mm. on is the collection process, right? Make it as simple, you know, as possible for the patient. And that, for example, right? So it, it, we spend a lot of time, endless nights mm. thinking about how else we can do it. Um, and so the way it's right done, you know, it, it is already simple, but we want to make it even simpler by really just you know, being able to stick a little spoon into a, into, into your stool and take out. I mean, as, as little as possible, as quick as possible, as, you know, as simple, it's gotta be very simple. Uh, and then also that you, for example, can just, which you can do in current product, you just collect it at home, put it back in our box and then basically uh, mail it with the regular mail. So uh, that's important, right? So the convenience factor, uh, we also have, you know, elements that help you collect the stool. So there's all, you know, again, it's a it's it's not perfect but we're we're working actively to just make it even a a better experience um as as good as you can make an experience because at the end of the day if you think about the alternative right so if if a if a test that you take every two or three years like this can prevent you from having cancer i would do it every day
0: totally totally agree so You mentioned the business model and you mentioned the disruptive element of the business model. I'm interested to know how a test like this goes from MVP idea B to C, which obviously this can be purchased on on, through you guys right now for anybody. I'm interested to know how a test like this goes from that to then essentially having the health economic model completely approved that this is an excellent screening process that now countries must do at scale which may or may not in some way be a goal of yours i don't know but how how would a test like this go from being initial mvp b2c sale to incredibly popular mass market even call it nice approved. And, you know, this has to now be done through screening in the UK or indeed Europe or any other country. What's the path to that? And what is your business model um, to even to achieve that or other methods of scale that you're looking at?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. Again, it's, it's a different, and similar in every country, right? So in, 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 Mm. in Germany, for example, we started off, as you said, right, uh, basically, uh, you know, that test is already covered by private insurances. Um, so that's, again, I'm just focusing on Germany as an example, right? We can talk in the UK as well. So uh, in private insurance, now we're starting to work through corporate health programs, right? So there's a lot of employees that are actually interested in offering a test like this. And many companies have actually healthcare programs in their, in their you know, benefits package, right? And so you want to get yourself into that benefits packages, Often, uh, or I mean, we talk about massive potential, massive organizations like Siemens or Daimler or Volkswagen, right? I mean, as you name it, there's there's lots of companies that have it. So, but we're not we're not you know at, at that stage yet. Um, some of those companies also have private uh, company based insurances. You go through those insurances and ultimately you want to go to public insurance, right? So that's that's the plan we're doing right now in Germany, and we're having discussions at all levels. So in the UK, clearly. Uh, we would have to, we will, we, again, we, we're just starting. We have one partnership with a lab in, in, in the UK that will go live in the coming weeks. Um, and then basically, we, we will also go through there, again, the private pay, uh, assessing it, the private insurance, uh, you know, certainly would have to work with NICE and we will, we had some initial discussions as well. And then do the appropriate studies to show that the health economic model acts. because we, we've shown, we've shown the health economic model. The, the, the challenge we sometimes have is, you know, there's a certain amount of colonoscopy science available in countries. And, um, you know, what, what often happens is that, you know, it, it, it's the, the process is scanned in a way that those are not over o- overflowing, right? So it's, yeah. it's important that you have a test that is, everybody you bring in is certainly a very potential positive, right? So, so the specificity of your test is very important. So it's a trade-off that every country has to make. And as an example, I was attending the Digestive Disease Week two weeks ago in Chicago. Uh, so they have the World Endoscopy Congress there. And it was fascinating to see how they, the, the, this was a really global conference. So, and they were talking about how some of these colorectal cancer screening programs have been implemented. Um, again, many countries have national screening programs, you know, where they basically today send people about 50 regular tests. A lot of people don't do the test, right? Because they don't really understand what it's for. So it's it's it has to do with education, but you have to be, to really make this more impactful, you have to go into this, you know, national screening programs, which we're starting to work towards as well. but That's just the process. You now, in US, it's different, right? In US, you need to do um, a large clinical trials, get you know, get FDA approval, uh, you know, and get also then the reimbursement approval, and then you can go into you know the, the broader screening. The US doesn't have a national screening program, for example. It's just managed right. differently. Then you look at the Asian markets; yet again, different. So you know, as you kind of talk different cultures, every is a little bit different how they're approaching, right? I talked to people in Argentina, and they had years ago a little bit of screening program, and I go fell apart because the government is all over the place and there's no money available, right? The Eastern Europe has no screening programs, okay? So, um, So I think... You know, it's a stepwise approach, right? So where we are going, so we're very selective of where we're starting to enter the market with. You know, understanding that every country is different, so that that's really a process that takes time. You know, some countries takes three to four years before you get in, some longer, some shorter. So that's the mm. approach, and the same approach we'll also take with the with, uh, with 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 you guys, right? As we as we move forward mm. in our commercialization strategy.
0: Yeah, interesting. And actually, one thing that I'm increasingly thinking about and reflecting on at the minute is when it comes to prevention. In, I'm going to talk in the UK now because I know half of our listeners are from, from the UK, the rest around the world. But in the UK, there's an, there's an expectation of of healthcare free at the point of service, right? Like we have a national health service; that's what people expect. As technology expands and increases, and what we can do in health increases, and particularly prevention, it falls into this strange sort of zone, which is, do we expect the NHS to pay for it? And where there's a health economic model and plenty of evidence for if we adopt this new screening process, it's guaranteed to actually save Money and it's horrible to talk about. It's really uncomfortable to talk about health outcomes in terms of money, but, sure. um, particularly if you're from the UK, it really is uncomfortable. But let, let's be clear. If it proves that, then clearly there's a, there's a big argument. Hey, the NHS can adopt this new screening process. It's guaranteed to say blah, blah, blah. In the, in the, in the lead up to that, there's an interesting question of who pays. There's people that will pay B2C, there's people that will pay b 2 b to c with insurance and private health insurance that they take out. But, but I think that there's this really big, important conversation to be had about employers, because if you think about who benefits, of course the individual benefits, of course they will. But for those that can't afford, let's say, to take out private health insurance themselves... Well, who's going to benefit massively from a person that would have ordinarily had to wait for a colonoscopy, not got it for a while, eventually got diagnosed, enters the NHS system at that point, then has a worse outcome versus has a screening process or, you know, has colo alert, a stool sample, it's done really early, blah, blah, like, Of course the employer benefits here. Of course they do. And actually it seems like that. It seems like in the UK, I just think, I just think that for really big employers and and for arguably all employers that this might be a really key buyer in modern health tech because so much of modern health tech and biotech that affects patients is, um, is in prevention. Uh, and so many of the gains that we're looking to make and particularly so many of the early stage innovations that i'm seeing at the moment and where people's ideas are particularly clinicians that are building companies or leaving to build companies or patients themselves it seems that so much of the kind of energy wants to go towards prevention but with no clear payer and in the run up to it having the evidence to be reimbursed anyway so like I, I just, it feels to me like employers are might be a big unlock here. And it feels like it's embryonic at the moment. And there are companies that certainly sell to employers at scale. And we've seen like the employ like the, the wellness stuff. Like we've seen quite a lot of that. And there's a lot of platforms that are trying to do that kind of thing. But I, I just want like proving the case to employers is going to be a lot easier than proving the case to to you know massive NHS screening processes more broadly and I know it feels to me like employers are a big unlock for health tech and biotech broadly um, for this type of thing for diagnostics and prevention um I don't know if you have any feelings or thoughts on that
1: No I, I I agree with you it is again I'm a believer in you know screening early right so that preventative medicine is key but nobody wants to pay for it that's been yeah. unfortunate case wherever you go, right? So because often, um, you know, insurances the, the issues in not want to pay for it because you know they, they want to pay as little as they can today, right? So it's just it's just that the long term thinking is unfortunately not always in there, and that's often driven by how people are actually you know rewarded. Um, mm. But nevertheless, that's the reality of life. Um, but but I think mm. having again um, the stepwise approach, right? Having to go through. Um, corporations because they understand right you can clearly show first of all they they can show and um, you know companies do want to get attract their best talented people and if a company can show they really care yeah right which means they really spend money you know on on the health you know there's a lot of mental health support people would need these days but there's other health that we're they're that providing we want to make sure you're you're healthy you're safe we take care of you Companies are actually, you know, ranked on how well they're managing their um, yeah. their, their, their their people profiles, and so if I look for yeah. a new job, I would certainly look for somebody that is shows you know it's not just about the profit, but it's also something that they take care that they take care of yeah. me, and if they have programs like this, that ultimately help. Right? It's it's mm. certainly a an, and 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 mix between. Uh, cost benefit for, for the employees when the, the individual doesn't get sick or ha- it has to leave, but also that you get, you have something else on your, you know, benefits program that you can really lure
0: in potential better candidates. Mm, absolutely. I, I th- yeah. I really, I really think it's a big unlock in the space, uh, but that's where education comes in as well. That actually by educating everybody that this test exists you can create that bottom up demand that people can actually then look for this type exactly. of thing and and people can yeah. then put pressure on their employer to say well what are you offering is it private health insurance is it screening processes for all of the, these different things and i think you know for those for those senior hires that for whom this becomes incredibly important yeah, you're right. If people are measured on that and you know it's a 50-50 between two places and you know one's going to look after their their colon health broadly with the education that that is an incredibly important thing for a certain demographic, then that demographic might actually look for this stuff more more deliberately. So I want I want to talk about the technology now itself and and what you are looking to move into because you mentioned pancreatic cancer something that has affected my family. And so you're moving into identif- or research to identify again, pan- pancreatic cancer, right? Um, and you've done some partnerships in this space. So, yeah, talk to, me, talk to me about the the expansion of the technology into a different area, i.e. ca PanK, and, yeah, how are you going about it, what you're learning, what you're doing? You know, as we
1: spoke before, James, we both connected with uh, individuals mm. who died in pancreatic cancer. So it's really... Uh, it's unfortunately and and an very very deadly cancer. It's unfortunately diagnosed too late because there's just not a lot of symptoms, or not a lot of symptoms people look for, to, right? So, yeah. and so what we're what we're moving towards is um, finding ways, as we do right now with the colorectal cancer, we identified specific biomarkers that you can identify in stool, who then basically predict, you know, whether you have a high risk for colorectal cancer. We are pro- we taking a very similar approach. We're basically looking at different type of biomarkers now uh, that we then ver- verify, right? So we have pancreatic cancer patients, and we basically see whether we can actually could have predicted those individuals with certain type of biomarkers you're exploring. So that program has been initiated a while ago. And very recently, we are now also expanding into the microbiome. And as many of our listeners know, right, there's the microbiome is really the, the, next, uh, the next frontier in, in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fascinating activities going on, uh, new therapeutics being created, but in our case, we're looking for specific species um, in, 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 in microbiome that could, if you have them or if you have a lack thereof, um, could clearly indicate that you are at risk of pancreatic cancer, colorectal cancer, or auto GI cancer. Um, you know, there's lots of activities going on in microbiome, as our, our listeners know, you know, we've seen data delaying, uh, depending on what what you how your microbiome looks, delaying autism and many other diseases. So there's, I think, the microbiome really is uh, the holy grail. It's all what you what you put in there that really has an impact. And uh, again, our um, research program in microbiome, which is based in Australia, um, you know, is is the first step into exploring a little deeper. Um, what we can do and as we learn from this research collaboration we then incorporate those markers into additional studies to help the the, the way i would look at it you know with pancreas so you know the, the the concept of um testing for multiple cancer is important right so that there's certain tests out there that, that try to predict like 10 15 different type of cancers at the same time Um, our philosophy is different. We want to specifically look at fewer of those and be more specific, right? So clearly having Mm -hmm. a stool sample that is able to identify cancer. And then at the same time, you can run another PCR panel that then runs biomarkers for pancreas as well and potential other GI cancer. So you can really create a whole panel of potential applications that are very specific that doesn't tell you that you have some type of cancer, but it tells you what type of cancer you actually have. And that's the specificity that's very important. So that's really something we're working on. Then um, the the sky is the limit here. There's a lot lot of work to be done. Um, there's a tremendous amount of information that individuals can learn from their stool sample, uh, and I know it's been very uh, broadly used already in many many areas today. Um, and uh, where nobody seemed to be care what it's a little stool sample, we get a lot of pushback sometimes, as we discussed before. But I think there's a there's a broad community who really just wants to know what's going on with them. Uh, and if it requires a little stool sample, as long as it's easy, you know, it takes two minutes, two minutes of your life could save your life. I I think that's okay. Um, at least that's the way I look at it. So I think that's the way we're pushing it and educating individuals as well. So it's really a small process, but the value to an individual is priceless.
0: Mm. I think, um there's always going to be early adopters to this sort of thing. There's always going to be pioneers. There's always going to be people at the front of that frontier pushing it. And so for those people that <laughs> hypothetically have had pancreatic cancer in their family and may or may not be a little bit concerned, would be more than willing to engage yes. in a test every six months uh to see whether their stool is exhibiting any biomarkers for it, they're of of course going to be those people. And I think... Do you know, what, I mean, more broadly, I almost wonder if, you know, I'm in, I'm in the communications and marketing game myself, The camp, like campaigns here that actually destigmatize this in terms of collecting stool and measuring biomarkers. I think you only have to point to the effects downstream to see the value. And actually we've, we've destigmatized so much over time, um, in lots of different categories in health, um, and you know, more broadly. So I think it's, it's only a matter of time before, before this, this really has to take off because I think the work that you're doing in colorectal cancer, in pancreatic cancer, it feels to me like it's almost too important. You talk about the microbiome being a frontier, right? Like it is, we talked about before about you know delaying autism and, and fiber and short chain fatty acids and cognitive decline in the gut brain axis and there's yeah. so much that we don't know about the microbiome that we are going to learn with things like sampling stool. Like there's just no, there's no two ways about it. Like those two things are pretty well connected, the microbiome and the stool. So if we are going to learn this stuff at scale, of course, there's going to be more stool sample collection. Of course, there's going to be more research and evidence gained off the back of that stuff. And so we're going to have to destigmatize it, but it is exciting. I think in healthcare at the moment and in health tech at the moment, I think, There have been a few things that have excited me. I think AI broadly has has excited me for years. And even when AI went through a bit of a dip a year or two ago, after the sort of initial hype, I still said I was excited by AI because it was just maturing and it was actually starting to solve problems. And so AI has been incredibly exciting for me and remains to be. And it's had this now... Second, third, fourth wave, whatever number wave you want to call it of large language models, et cetera, where the hype is back. But I'm less, I'm less excited about the hypey stuff. I'm more excited about what that does for the maturation of the stuff that came behind it. Oh, sorry, came before it. Um, but the microbiome is exciting to me. It, it, it really is because of just how much we don't know. And that for me just provides this kind of, I don't know. It feels to me like within my lifetime, there are now going to be advancements and extra understanding and discoveries that we haven't had before. And I don't know, in health, I haven't, I haven't, I don't, I don't understand or know many of those things. And I guess in, in my life broadly in technology and all the rest of it, there's space travel and there's like, I might see someone go to Mars, but Where are the other frontiers of discovery? Like under the sea, maybe? I don't know. But like, there's there's very few. But like, in my world, the microbiome really is that. And, you know, we've spoken to Thomas on here, the founder of Myota. And there's definitely more founders that I want to speak to in the microbiome because of how much we can learn. But I think for me to link all this back to what you're doing, I think the microbiome and how that pertains to pancreatic cancer. If that is something that's currently undiscovered, well, let's discover it because my goodness, anything that can help prevent pancreatic cancer, which is an incredibly fast moving, incredibly destructive cancer. I mean, the small mercies in just how quickly it takes people, I guess, but um, that really is a small mercy for the fact it does take people so quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, experience in my family of this i just think that the research going into this is incredibly important and i mean i i'm interested for you guys like what 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 is the goal here with this is it to achieve screening for everybody every six months on colorectal cancer pancreatic cancer are you guys looking to develop tests more broadly and look for other conditions too? I know you mentioned that you're, lo- you're not looking to spread your bets too far. You're more interested in the specificity, but do you have your eye on any others? I don't know. How does how does Minds Biotech see the future um, and what, what what part do you guys want to play in it? Yeah, so the, the,
1: the, the concept of our approach is to do the test not every six months, but it's specifically col- because colorectal col- col- cancer, for example, doesn't grow that fast. Mm. So if you do every two to three years, that's the way we're looking at it. And combined is then with pancreas as well, right? So it's it's because just doing a pancreas alone is is going to be very difficult from a you know from a from a cost benefit point of view. Sure. Um, because of the prevalence being so low. So that's certainly that's one area. But then the other again, the other area with other GI cancers we are just exploring. Again, part of the microbiome program is that to figure out what other GI cancers can you actually identify. Uh, in, in, in stool, but there is other like the Crohn's disease, um, for example, where, I mean, this is really horrible. A good friend of mine's son is 19, just diagnosed with Crohn's disease. The poor kid has to do colonoscopies almost every year because there's such, you know, uh, or or Lynch syndromes. There's such a high, high risk of developing colorectal cancer. You know, it's gotta be something else out there. Right. So, and we're, we also want to explore helping, you know, these are not really not screened. These are truly diagnostic markers, right? So basically if somebody has been diagnosed with Crohn's, you know, do that test maybe every every, every year, right? So, and if the test is positive, then go in and do a colonoscopy because you have something going on. I mean, that's, that's the approach, right, James, but we're not, we're not there yet as, as one one thing I learned as well in my life is as a, as a smaller organization, you got to do a few things and got to do them right. You um, can quickly <laughs> spread your wings too wide, and uh, that's not, you know, th- th- that that's not what I think uh, ultimate success, uh, you know, uh, is, yeah. is 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 guaranteed. So, so from that point of yeah. view, but that's the approach that we're taking, right? So, really step expanding, doing the core cool research, especially in the microbiome. There's more clinical research needed, um, and that's mm. what we, we're going to do
0: you know I love it and th- thanks so much for coming on. I think your approach is wonderful. I think that what you're part of is the future. I mean the the overwhelming need for less invasive tests or indeed non-invasive tests in this example to reach uh not only the bedside but actually people's homes is incredible. We've seen through covid the art of the possible. I think the 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 demand is definitely there bottom up. Um forgive the pun but yes it's incredibly important and yeah it's just it's just lovely to see that you guys are part of this and someone with your background your experience your ability and understanding across um ai from the mid 90s all the way up to well engineering even before that and all the way up to pharma and biotech and what you're doing now it's incredibly cool um, for those people listening that want to potentially get a test or have a look at this more, or indeed get in touch with you to learn a bit more, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: So we can, um, certainly go through our website, the Minds Biomed website. You can find the information there. Guido, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank
0: you so much for joining me. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.